Hello and welcome to another episode of Meta Sidekicks. My name is Liv. This is M. M, say hi. Yo. Yo. Are you excited to listen to me mispronounce Korean words for at least a good 30 minutes? Oh, God. Because <laughs> that's what this is going to be. Today, we're going to be talking about mudangs. I think that's how you say it. But it's also, I guess, a derogatory term, depending on how you feel about it. But it's more... I wouldn't necessarily say derogatory from the things that I read. I feel like it's more of just a like uh, casual term for Korean shamans, more notably named Moo or Moos and Paksu. That's what it is. Paksus. So that's what we're talking about today. If you guys are new to the podcast, Em and I are psychic mediums and uh, we're here to talk about all things metaphysical, paranormal and in between because why not? Today's podcast is a recommendation from one of our lovely sidekicks so what do you think uh i don't know do you know anything about mudangs korean shamans mm. nothing yeah <laughs> okay i didn't know anything about them either a couple of people brought them up uh rebecca was the first one which is why i'm talking about her bringing her up but um yeah they're korean shamans and they're like i just want to know about this topic more in depth because it's something that I'm interested in. I was like, okay, cool. So it's a good time. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes. The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastore led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. All right, so without further ado, Mudangs, also known as Mu, specifically in the female derivation, is a shaman that is Korean. A Mudang term is used in conversation but can have derogatory connotations and is not used in a formal, polite, or academic situation. But, I mean, this is not necessarily formal. We try to be polite, and I don't know if it's technically academic, our podcast. I wouldn't go that far. It's entertaining. But most of the things that I found as sources, which will be linked in the show notes if you guys want to read the sources that I read to, everybody casually refers to the Korean shaman collectively and individually as mudangs. So I'm sorry if that's offensive to you, if you're a mu or a paksu or any of the other like seven or eight names, depending on what place in Korea that you live, whether it's North Korea, South Korea the middle of the peninsula, whichever. There's different names for a whole bunch of different things, but that's the uh, it's basically the collective term. So in Korean shamanism, a mu or mordang is a priestess who employs magic to affect curses, to tell fortunes, to soothe the spirits of the dead, and to repulse evil. Her male counterpart is called a paksu. However, both are known by various other names in parts of Korea too. Let's talk about first where... Korean shamans, mudangs, came from 
historically speaking and I'll give you I didn't I did not think about this at all but where do you think the idea of shamans like Korean shamans specifically comes from him Korea <laughs> no I don't know that well Siberia interesting right a lot of their ideas and like traditions and ideas of Korean shamanism for Mudangs comes from Siberian traditions and folklore which is interesting to me and then also comes into play with like Confucianism Buddhism and Chinese traditions it's a lot weird right but I guess shaman and like shama comes from Siberian words so I just would have never guessed that something from Korea originated from origins in Siberia because all I can think about is like Muppet Russia Uh, all right, so let's talk about the myths around the origins of Korean shamans. There's a few different myths which speak about the origins of Korean shamans, but throughout each, it is implied that these people are media or intermediaries of higher forms of being. Original shamans are ordained, but only by gods, spirits, or human souls. In these myths, shamans who are regarded as belonging to the lowest class in society have a forgotten divine or princely nature, which most often arises from a blood lineage that may be traced back to earlier founders of civilization. So like in each of these different stories, there's like origin stories about how Mudangs came to be, and they all come from like this, I think they call it the spirit mother, who is a spirit of that comes down from the heavens from the sky god and is basically turned into a woman. And all Mudangs are uh, like derived lineagely from this mother spirit. Isn't that interesting? What's the mother spirit? She was a bear. Why is the mother spirit? What does she do? She lived under a tree. There's just different like... I think she's just a part of like the creation story of civilization of people. Mm. So it's very interesting. So if you call it like come from the origins of a Mudang, you would be someone derived from the mother spirit. Isn't that cool? It's interesting. Yeah. Now, and there's different types of. So not everyone is. That's what you would think. Nowadays, you can also be initiated into being a Mudang or Pasku. Isn't that, cr- isn't it weird? It's well, then how do you know if you're created by her? Because there's different types of Korean shamans. You can be a hereditary one or you can be an indoctrinated one. Mm. It gets very complex. Mm. So, but the origin, the origin stories is that this person is derived from the mother spirit or you have to be sort of possessed in a sense by another God, a spirit or human soul. Anyways, so we're talking about the origin stories. In these myths, shamans who are regarded as belonging to the lowest class in society have a forgotten divine or princely nature, which is most often arisen from blood lineage that may be traced back to the early founders of civilization. Further features of these myths are symbols of divine presence, such as the holy mountain and the holy tree and tragic or painful experiences. So like the tragic and painful experiences is... The mother spirit, who was the bear, I guess, went through a painful transition into a human woman. And if you are Mudang, you go through something called spiritual sickness or spiritual illness. And that's how you know that you're transitioning into a Mu. 
you like go through this psychosis basically. So if you don't go through that, then you can't be one, even if you have the lineage. No, because if you have the lineage, you would still be hereditary one. Well, then how do you know you're going through it? I will talk about it. <laughs> so the bear, who is a divine spirit, is an animal often present in such myths with parallels in the mythologies of Siberia, which I also think is funny because when I was little, my brother used to talk about Bobo the Russian bear who was in the circus and would drink vodka. And all I can think about is Siberia and that this myth has a bear in it. Anyways, <laughs> so a few of the myths or the origin stories include the following. So it's Sungmo, the holy mother. In a collection of myths, the origin of the shaman is linked to a mother goddess associated with a mountain and presented either as the mother or the spiritual daughter of, quote, the heavenly king. So the heavenly king was this guy. He was this guy god, basically. And he's the one, I believe, and I could be wrong, who gave rise to all of people. So before there was people, there was animals, and he's the one that changed animals into people. But I could be wrong. Don't quote me on that. I just know that he's the big dude in the sky. So, well, she the like the Big Dipper or something. Yeah, Ursus Major. Mm-hmm. Where'd you get that information from? Oh, she's just been telling me that she's the bear in the sky. That's really cute. That's cute. In a collection of myths, the origin of the shaman is linked to the mother goddess associated with a mountain and presented as either the mother or the spiritual daughter of the heavenly king. She has different names according to different regions and associated mountains. So Sungmo is the holy mother. Daimo is the great mother. Yamo or Jamo is the benevolent mother. Sinmo is the divine mother. Nogo is the olden maiden. And she has other names. In other myths, she is a mortal princess who is later turned into a goddess. So these myths usually tell of a man, Pabu Haswang, who encountered the Holy Mother of the Heavenly King on the top of a mountain. The Holy Mother then became a human being and married the man who met her, giving birth to eight girls. All of those girls ended up being the first Mudang. So kind of like a, oh, what is it? Like a demigod, basically. Because she was a bear. Then she turned into a person, met this king, had eight daughters, and because she was this spirit person and met a king and had eight daughters, they're like, there you go. Now you have Mudangs, which were the eight daughters. So that's one story. According to some scholars, this myth was first elaborated in the Cilia period when Buddhism and influences from China had already penetrated the Korean peninsula. So there's a lot of like melting ideas that go into all of this. So the myth of the princess is the most popular, and it differs from region to region. In one of the versions, the princess is Awang Konju of the Yao Kingdom, located on the Asian mainland. The princess had a strong link with divinity, granting welfare to her people. Her father sent the princess among the people who began to worship her for her healing powers. The first Mudang were established as her successors. The princess is worshipped with seasonal offerings in Chichigong, the yellow and red clothes worn by the Mudang are regarded as Awang Konju's robes. So if you look up Mudangs today, traditionally when they do certain ceremonies and rituals, they call them rites or I think it's uh, kuts, guts. It's guts. I think it's guts. They wear certain robes and it's very often red and yellow and like white and black. So in the northern Korean Peninsula, the princess is known as Chilgongu, which is the seventh princess. So seventh amongst the daughters of the king. 
The myth tells that she was rejected by her father, who sealed her in a stone coffin and cast it into a pond. But she was rescued by a dragon king sent by the heavenly king and ascended to the western sky, becoming the goddess of healing waters. Names of the goddess in other traditions are Pali Kanju and Kongsim. In the tradition of the Jeju Islands, where there are more male Baksu than female Mudang, the myth tells of a prince as the ancestor of all shamans. Isn't that cool? Mm-hmm. So it's all just different interpretations of this. Now, that deals with the princess and the bear spirit and the mother spirit. But there's also another origin story of Korean shamans where it's the sandalwood king. And all I could think about was sandalwood and how everything that you want to buy for a man or a woman is sandalwood scented nowadays. Wow. <laughs> like literally everything I look for for Bradley is like sandalwood this and sandalwood that. So, so Dangun is traditionally considered to be the grandson of Hwanin, the heavenly king and founder of the Korean nation. So I guess the heavenly king, the sky god guy, he is the one who created all of the Korean people. Okay. So the myth is reputed to be older than that of the mother goddess. Myths similar to that of Dangun are found in Anu and Siberian cultures. The myth starts with the prince Huangnong, the heavenly prince, son of Huanin. The prince asked his father to grant him governance over Korea. Huanin accepted and Huanung was sent to earth bearing three heavenly seals and accompanied by 3,000 followers. The prince arrived under the holy tree of sandalwood, which is Sintansu, on the holy mountain where he founded his holy city. At the time of his reign, I think it's Unyego or Unyin, who was a she-bear and a tiger, were living in a cave near the holy city, praying earnestly that their wish to become part of mankind might be fulfilled. Onyegyo patiently endured weariness and hunger, and after 21 days, she was transformed into a beautiful woman. So the bear spirit went like underwent weariness and hunger, and then after 21 days, she was transformed into a woman. While the tiger couldn't endure the same sort of sickness and ran away, for it could not tolerate the effort. The bear woman was overjoyed, and visiting the Sandalwood City, she prayed that she might become the mother of a child. Her wish was fulfilled so that she became the queen and gave birth to a prince who was given the royal name of Dangun, a sandalwood king. Dangun reigned as the first human king of Korea, giving to his kingdom the name of Joseon, land of the morning calm. According to some scholars, the name Dangun is related to the Siberian Tengri of heaven, while the bear is a symbol of the Big Dipper Ursus Major. Later in the myth, Dangun became the Sansin, or the mountain god, metaphorically he is uh, that of civilizing growth and prosperity. Isn't that cool? Yeah. I love like origin stories. They make me really happy. <laughs> Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. 
But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So, in the past, let's talk about how you become a mudang, a boxu, or a mu. So, mu are female mudangs, and boxu or a poxu are the male version. So, you're like either a prince or a princess, basically. So in the past, if you were born to a father or mother whose social title was that of a mu or paksu, you were known as a hereditary mudang, a part of a lower social standing and seldom married into families of a higher social standing. Daughters of these Korean shamans became mus themselves or after proper training, kensiang, which are artistic entertainers similar to that of Japanese geisha. Sons of hereditary shamans usually became singers of pansori, which is also known as the one-person opera of Korea. They also could become musicians who accompanied schematic rituals. Isn't that pretty cool? Yeah. So I, I kind of feel like these are the Korean version of Romani. I don't know what that is. Romani are the Roman traveling people. Not Roman. Romanian traveling people. Mm-hmm. So... Um, like Romani are known for being like healers and sort of religious cultural people and a lot of song and dance is integrated into their religions and cultures. Got you. So I just thought that was kind of cute. If you have like no idea what we're talking about because you don't know things about like Asian cultures, Romani for me, I was just like, "Hmm, that's kind of what it seems like to me. So the principal occasion for the performance of a mu or paksu is that of a kut or gut. So the gut is a trance ritual in which singing and dancing are used to invite happiness or repel evil. The kut usually comprises 12 kori or procedures, each of which address a specific god, gods, or spirits. Before the kut begins, an altar is set on the floor and offerings are made. As the ritual progresses, the mu or paksu go into a trance, during which a god is said to arrive, to be placated, and then to communicate a message to the client on behalf of the family, a village, or the state through the shaman. So the kut is this big ritual where a god or spirit is sort of like petitioned almost, and they possess the soul of the mu in some instances, because sometimes it's not the same thing, um, sometimes the person isn't possessed, but objects called, I forget what they're called. I'm going to butcher it. So we'll get there when we get there. But sometimes objects are possessed and used to communicate what the soul spirit or God wants to convey. So in modern times, the professionalism and attendant esteem of hereditary mudangs have increasingly fallen prey to economic opportunism. So I was reading about a couple different things where like in North Korea, the government has tried to completely like put the kibosh on mudangs and Korean shamanism, but they've persevered, (laughs) I guess. So, and even in South Korea, they've tried to sort of put the kibosh on this in some instances too, but it's so prevalent that even when people get sick nowadays or come under what they call spiritual illness, people will, instead of going to like psychiatric help or like physical medical institutions they will find or seek out a mudang to help their person 
Hachu. So there are two types of Korean shamans or two categories. There's the sesimu or tengol, and these perform rites by family lineage. So these are the hereditary mudangs. And then you have the kangshinmu. The kangshinmu are the shaman through initiation ceremony. So they are institutionally ordained by a like third party or someone who is already a mudang. But they don't have any hereditary lineage. Mm-hmm. So it's someone who's ordained and then someone who's born into it. Got you. It's like being a prince or princess or marrying a prince or princess. Mm-hmm. Kind of. Mm-hmm. So we're going to first talk about the hereditary mudang or the sesimu. So hereditary shamans called by the sky spirit directly. And this is more prevalent in like southern Korea because there's a lot of different um like depending on where you live there's different types of shamans and mostly the sesimu are of south korea dude i went down a rabbit hole for this one i was reading so many blogs and like people's personal experiences i was like i need to know more because wikipedia can only give you so much from like an outside standpoint but i really wanted to try and get to know what i was talking about from like actual people's like mudang's perspectives (laughs) yeah and it was wild it was a trip Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> so sesimu or hereditary shamans receive their status as shaman by family bloodlines there's two subtypes of sesimu there's sumbang or simbang and tengal so simbang are found only in the jeju island they are associated with only a specific set of gods but these gods do not inhabit the shaman's body rather they are externalized in the form of the mengdu that's what i was trying to tell you the objects that gods can possess so the mengdu are a set of sacred ritual implements which the gods and spirits of dead shamans are embodied so a simbong's basic task is to understand the divine message conveyed by their mengdu and to use them to worship the gods so the mengdu are i looked up pictures it was like two knives that have like really pretty feathers and like things on the end of them and then there's also like uh, bells that have really elaborate things hooked onto them and then these little cups that represent the moon so those are the mengdu they're like physical objects that Mm. the souls and spirits and gods are supposed to possess and then you interpret kind of like tarot cards but not so the tangal have the exclusive right to perform good rituals these rituals involve song and dance to entertain a god or goddess Both the rites of succession and the ceremonies have been systemized so that now they bear the characteristic of a religious institution. Unlike other types of Korean shamans, Tengul do not receive a particular god as part of an initiation ceremony and may therefore work with a variety of gods, and they do not keep shrines in their homes. So the Simbang will keep shrines in their homes and use the uh, Mengdu in order to talk to and communicate with gods and goddesses and convey information whereas the tengal don't do that and the simbang will have more like smaller tasks i guess mm-hmm. of divination and fortune telling whereas the tengal have like the big tasks they would be the ones that have the guts which are the big rituals where someone would uh, like appease a good harvest or bless a setting or a new settlement things like that's so like bigger stuff Got you. Mm-hmm. 
All right. Now we're going to talk about the Kangshin Mu, which are the Korean shamans who become shamans through an initiation ceremony. So the Sesimu, which are the Simbang and Tangals, they are the ones that have family bloodlines. However, the Kangshin Mu are the ones that don't have any hereditary shamanism. They're the ones that are ordained or initiated. So Kangshin Mu acquire their status by being chosen and possessed by a god. Two subtypes exist, the general Mundang and the Myeongdu, northern Korea. So the Myeongdu are just specifically of northern Korea, whereas I think the Mudang are more like central northern Korea. So a person becomes a Kangshimu by undergoing a period of Shinyo, I think it's Shinbyong, which is the divine illness. The possession by the god, it's said to be accompanied by physical pain and psychosis. And I think this goes into um, like the bear the mother spirit because she went through pain before she transformed into a person. Yeah. But again, these people aren't hereditarily like linked to her and her origin story. Yeah, too. So the possession by the God is said to be accompanied by physical pain and psychosis. Believers think that the divine illness may not be healed through medical treatments, but only through the full communion with the spirit. So Mudang are shamans who are possessed by a God or spirit called a Momju. They perform fortune telling using spiritual powers derived from their possession and lead gut rituals involving song and dance. Another type subtype of Mudang is the Sun Mudang or Posal, who are thought to have acquired power through spiritual experience, but are still not worthy of holding an orthodox gut. Many male shamans or Basque belong to this category. So Myeongdu differ from general Mudang in that they channel the spirit of a dead person usually a young child related to the Mengdu himself rather than a god and invite spirits to take residence into shrines set up in their homes. Got you. Yeah, so some people have shrines. Some of them don't have shrines. Some of them let spirits possess them. Other ones let objects become possessed and they all do fortune tellings and whether or not you're hereditary or not and if you are initiated or not, things like that. So it's all just a lot of like specifics and semantics, if you will. Now let's talk about the goot rituals. You got anything to say? No. Okay, it looked like you had something to say. So now we're going to talk about the rituals that the Mudangs uh, perform. There's three major categories. So the three categories of gut rituals are the Nareem goot, the Dudang goot, and the Sistium goot. And I, I'm sure I'm saying the last one wrong. It's cystikim goot. But first, let's talk about their spirit sickness or the shinbayong. So a shaman's affliction with an illness known as sinbayong or shinbayong are the central features of their initiation, also called spirit sickness or self-loss, a loss of appetite, insomnia, Visual and auditory hallucinations characterizes the illness and constitute the reasons for holding one of the three goot rituals. So the first one is the Nareem goot. So in the tradition of museum, shaman consider the Shinbayong a structured religious experience demonstrating the vertical connection between God and humanity, showing that God in some form exists in human consciousness. The Shinbayong constitutes a form of revelation that causes the shaman to become one with God and consequently change his or her patterns of thought. The Shinbayong dissociate from everyday life, entering into a higher form of consciousness. So during the Narim Gut, 
This is the initiation of a Korean Korean shaman. It's done with the help of another Mu or Paksu, usually a Mu, which is the female Korean shaman. And this is collectively referred to as Mu Dangs. So through music, offering, and dance, both parties are already ordained shamans and the initiatee are inhabited by gods, more precisely specific gods. So when this happens, certain Mengdu are used to express and honor the god present in the person at the time. Clothes can be changed to to represent the god within each individual during the ceremony. There's fans, swords, knives, bells, and bowls. Those are the Mengdu. So I actually read a blog post that, if you want, will be in this, the sources below in the show notes. But Eric Young Duspik describes his experience with his Nareem Goot as a spiritual birth and that, quote, the ceremony is a union with the gods. The feeling is something akin to a wedding, unquote. If you choose to undergo this process, it is by the leading Mundang, and you are tested by certain questions to see if you have an active connection to the gods. Sometimes the ritual fails and you cannot be initiated as a Mudang. And the Mudang who performs the Narim Gut for the candidate is oftentimes referred to as their spirit mother. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. So that answers your question about like if you're not born into it or you don't have a hereditary lineage for bloodline for being a Mu or a Baku, Baksu, then that's how you go about becoming a Mudang. Yeah. Is the Nareem Goot, but you usually are afflicted with this spiritual sickness or illness, but sometimes not. Sometimes, and like, like the guy that I read, this Eric dude, he, I don't think, was afflicted by any sort of illness, he said, and until it was happening when he went through the ritual, which was 10 hours. And he said, he said he spent 8,000 euros to go through this ritual. But he's like, there was the Mudang, which was Kim something. And then uh, all of the like spiritual performers, like the people that held the music and this whole shrine of food and meats and candies and cakes that they had everywhere for the gods. And then all of the outfits that they changed and he used uh, the the spiritual objects and things like that. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. But he said that his mother spirit or the leading Mudang asked him questions to see if he could like tell fortunes and if the spirits were actually conveying information through him. And I guess sometimes if you answer the question wrong, they're like, you fail. <laughs> Got you. <laughs> so I guess you can fail. All right. So the second type of good is the dudang good. This is a communal rite in South Korea, which aims to bring blessings of well-being and prosperity to a particular village or area usually held annually or once every few years. These take place around the new year or in spring or autumn, and a female moo most commonly perform the dudanguts. And sometimes these can last days. So it's like a, a big sort of celebration ritual type thing. Mm-hmm. And then the last form of gut that I had, and there's a lot, there's a lot. I mean, it's basically like one of them, one of the sources I have, if you want to read it, I think it's the last one in the like bullet points, had a whole list of the different types of goods that you can perform. And one of them was for, like fishermen's and stuff, <laughs> which I thought was interesting. So just like how the Greek gods and goddesses had certain rituals for harvest and, I don't know, yuletide and things like that, the mudangs do the same thing. The last one is the sikkim good. This rite cleanses the spirit of a deceased person. Since ancient times, Korean shamans have held a belief that when somebody dies, 
Their body cannot enter the world of the dead because of the impurity of their spirit. Observed mainly in the provinces in the southwest of South Korea, the system gum washes away that impurity and allows souls to cross over. Did you like my short dissertation as a non-Korean person on Mudangs? Yeah, it was great. <laughs> I thought it was interesting. I liked reading the blog posts of everything. So if you guys like content like this, make sure to like, subscribe, share, comment, whatever you do with podcasts, especially if you're listening on the Metapsychics Extra YouTube channel. Leave a comment below saying what topic you would like us to cover next. And until next time, we are your meta-sa-kicks. Kicks. <laughs>